Hello, my name is Alex Owens, and I'm the executive director of Be Loud Studios here in New Orleans. Over the last two years, I had the insane privilege of producing the Rudy Cash podcast with now rooted alumni Vernell, aka DJ Villain, and Jalen, aka DJ Bio. I can't say enough about these two young men. Their commitment, their positive energy, and their individual growth in a historically challenging year made this podcast a reality. This summer, a year after graduation, we sat down with Vernell, 4.0 CEO Hassan Hassan, and Rooted founder Jonathan Johnson to reflect on the Cash Pilot experience and what it meant to each of them. We hope that this conversation inspires you to think about what this work, what earned income, and what truly trusting youth could look like moving forward. Thank you for listening to all these conversations and enjoy the last episode of the Rooted Cash podcast. My name is Renal Chanel. My title is creator. And my relationship to Rooted is that I am a formal student. I'm an alumni of Rooted, um, actually the first graduating class. My last year in one word would be transition. Jonathan Johnson, founder, CEO of Rooted School. Last year in one word, Cascades. Firmly moved and planted myself in the Pacific Northwest, but also lots of peaks. Lots of peaks with what we, what I, what I wanted to accomplish with Root when I started on the journey about eight years ago. But then also once I've gotten to the peak, there are other peaks that I've seen that that I'd love to get us to and get our students to, get our team to, and cities to. So I'm also thinking about the next next peaks. My name is Hassan. I am the CEO of 4.0, and I would describe. The last year with the word joy. At 4.0, we define joy as not the absence of struggle, but it's the expression of resilience and love in the face of challenges. And this past year, Jonathan, you know, I got married, you know, in the middle of the pandemic, in the middle of a Congrats. coup in my home country in Sudan. It was, it was an expression of love and celebration and joy. And, you know, I got to be part of this amazing project. I really feel it's one of the projects that I'm most proud to have played a very small part of in my entire career. So just feeling really grateful to be with y'all today. One of the things that I learned during Rouge Cash Transfer Pilot is that I can save a ton of money. The problem with saving money is though you need to have disposable income in order to do so. And then when I didn't have that anymore. With the Rudy Cash Transfer Pilot, I began to realize how hard it is to have disposable income, right? And that made me begin to think, well, if you live in a society like ours, where that relies so heavily on monetary value, income, and things of that nature, then it should be a human right to have a form of income. It's, it's really powerful to hear you say that. A follow-up question just for you is, if you were kind of just to describe how it felt for you to know that $50 is coming every week, how would you describe just that feeling that you have? Well, it would feel more like buffer, yeah? Like, it's not something where it's like so significant to the point where I can live off of it. But it's just when you have the income that you know that you are going to get, right? Then it becomes like a psychological thing. I know that I'm gonna get this and I know that I don't have to work for this. So I should use this as wisely as possible. 
and it, it causes you to develop this different worldview towards every dollar that you make yourself. What extent could this experiment train youth to think uh, too reliant on a buffer mm. or this like sort of like this like safety net? Like, I don't know. I just love you to share more about like how this like made you think about that question. Mm -hmm. So, well, I could feel that it could cause people to become reliant on such a buffer, right? However, I think that that would have been more of a case if it was an experience that lasted longer than just a year. But since it lasted only a year, I feel it's more of something where it's like, it teaches you what this is rather than teaches you to rely on this because you didn't think in your mind, oh, this is gonna last forever. You thought this was gonna last for a year, right? You knew that this was a finite concept. This was an experiment, exactly what you said it was. But instead of thinking of it from the lens of it could cause them to develop a dependency on it, Maybe think of it from the lens of this teaches them what this is and what this experience could be like on a larger scale. Because I never, I never personally developed a dependency on it. I don't know anyone else who has, but I know that after the experience was over, just about every single person who was a part of it wanted something of that nature in their life. What does this teach you about value work? It makes you begin to think differently on the human rights aspect of working for someone else. It's not necessarily the value of the dollar always, but it's really more of what am I working for and how much work am I putting in for the amount that I'm being paid? It gives you a different perspective because you, if you are in a situation where you're hopeless, then that's where people who have more money than you can take advantage of you very easily. And you now find it very hard to survive in the country that you live in. And you're living on a bridge because you can't afford to live because you have to work for somebody else to get your money or you have to work to get your money. There's no guaranteed income for anyone. So if you acknowledge that money is needed for everyone, then everyone should have money. Honestly, I feel I feel so inspired and hopeful when when I hear you speak for now. I don't know if you remember the last time we spoke, I told you when I was young, like one of my, I wanted to be two things. I wanted to play for Arsenal and like be Tupac. Like that was, that was like the epitome of like who I can become. And but because as a young person, like I just so gravitated to the authenticity that Tupac like really was committed to in his art, in his in his life. One of my favorite interviews of Tupac as a 16, 17 year old, he talks about like how oftentimes young people see things that we have learned to stop seeing as adults. We almost like need to be reminded about the basic questions like who are we and how are our decisions like reflecting who we say we are. If we all believe that every child, every human being should have the opportunity to flourish and be the best version of themselves, if we, if we really believe that, where should that journey start? Like, 
Should it start by having them work a job that they hate? <laughs> Where do we as a community, as a society, choose to start that journey, to set someone up for that, that journey about them becoming the best version of themselves? Should it be a human right to have an income floor? You know, like hearing you talk about the security, the buffer, the time, right? It's like not the $50, right? Like the $50 more than anything gives you time right? Is that a better start, right? Like we can figure out like, can, can we afford it? Can we afford it for everyone? You know, how quickly we can get there. But I think it's a fair question. Like, what if we design a different starting point for people? I just feel so hopeful and inspired because I need to be reminded of that. Yes, we can talk about all of the challenges, all of the complexity that are real, right? And, and we have a responsibility to be accountable for the, the decisions that we make, but we shouldn't forget the basics. If we agree that everybody should have the pursuit of happiness, then why do we have to pursue our happiness through anguish? The Rudicast transfer pilot started not long after I started a job at Burger King, right? Okay, I started the job at Burger King probably like, like the four months before the Rudicast transfer pilot began. And it really began to make me think I was getting paid like $200 a week from Burger King, but I was getting paid $50 a week for doing nothing. But I was working so many hours for Burger King. So it begins to change your perspective because you're just like, I just went through all of that for eight bucks, but I just, I just got paid 50 bucks for nothing. I didn't do nothing, right? So now you begin to think, I hate this. I hate this. I don't want to do this anymore. And then you stop doing it. So for like a good three months, I was literally just using nothing but the cash from the Ruta Cash Transfer Pilot. But I had already been saving up all of the money from the Ruta Cash Transfer Pilot for like three months prior while I had my job at Burger King, right? So it was a situation where I was able to just basically live off of that for like two months. And I was like, I was, I'm a kid, right? I only had one bill and one my phone bill, right? But through that, the entire time that I had that money from the Ruta Cash Transfer Pilot, I did not pay a phone bill. I didn't pay for food. I didn't pay for anything. I didn't pay for anything. I, I literally used all the money from that. And then if I had a job, I would be saving all of my money from that. So it's a situation where it's like, wow. I was living off of just $50 per week. I really remember like the early conversations that Jonathan and I were having. And it was, and it really did start from a personal place, which is just like, how did we learn the value of money? Like when did, when did we learn, you know, how to, how to manage money? Did we go to like a financial literacy course that was like a pre-requirement before I knew how to, how to, uh, manage my money? And, and honestly, the answer was no. Like, the truth is, is one, I needed to start having money. And then I needed to start, honestly, making some decisions. Some were good, some were bad. And from these mistakes, learn over time and build better habits. I still remember the first time I overdrew my bank account and got that fee. And I was just like, oh, this is not good. Like, I don't want this to happen. I know how, if, how I feel right now. I don't want this to happen again. It happened again. Like, that's how I learned how to manage my finances. I, I feel like th that is how we learn. So, so really walking into this project, you know, wanted to see, like, would, would that be true? 
right? Like, can we run a study to really confirm what we have seen, what I have, what I have experienced in my own life? And it is powerful right now, right? To hear how, again, $50 a week, not a lot of money, right? How that shaped the way that you decided to save, how it shaped how you're thinking around work, how it shaped, you know, some of the decisions that you made, right? Like buying stocks, right? Like investing in crypto, like that is the power, right? You're developing all of these skills that we value in our society when you have the freedom, when you are not afraid, when you are not distracted by the promise of not having that paycheck. So for me, it's just, it's so powerful right now. And then why I'm like, we should be asking ourselves, what could this look like if we were to design a social contract as a as a as a country as a city you know i shared with you earlier like my, my home country of sudan is is going through a democratic revolution right now they have an opportunity to write a new constitution it's driven by youth right like could we see in our lifetime you know countries that would would have guaranteed income and income floor as a core element of the community or the nation these are for me serious questions to be taken seriously and and we are in this project really starting to gather very important data to add to our already existing body of knowledge to start to answer that question so we discovered three core findings from the study so one at the start of the study we had 40 to 50 percent of youth report experiencing financial hardship and that being defined as an inability to pay rent or mortgage in full or ability to pay utility bills in full by the end of the study did zero percent reporting that was that was that was of interest to us second finding was that the that the youth participating generally reported that participating in the study helped them become more financially literate to Hassan's point of just having the money enabled them to think about how to use it more effectively as a tool. And then the last key finding was that the that youth spent money on a range of things to meet their needs from snacks to stocks. And so that was I mean, while we only worked with 20 students in this study, these are statistically significant findings for us that inspire more questions, more curiosities. Now we're contemplating a 230 student version of this. What more could we learn? Will these will these findings be affirmed or confirmed at that scale? Those are the sort of questions that we we're beginning to wonder. But yeah, those are the those are the findings. That's amazing. And like, how could you go wrong with that, right? Like, you literally saw people who needed money. You gave them money. And then what do you know? Now they know how to use money. Well, for now, there, there's also a general narrative, actually, that exists around, oh, but if you give them this money, they're just going to go spend this on cigarettes. Well, one, they're going to spend the money anyways. That's how you keep the machine going. <laughs> That's the first thing. The second thing is, it doesn't matter what they spend the money on. 
the point is they don't have enough money. So if somebody doesn't have enough money to meet their day-to-day expenses, giving them more money can't do any wrong because they're just going to spend the money anyways because they already were spending all of their money. So just like we've been talking about, you can't learn how to manage money until you have it, right? Like you, and you start to make decisions with it. Maybe some make some mistakes with it, you know, before you can really build your confidence in how to, how to, build, how to manage money. Another, like, currency, honestly, that comes to mind hearing you speak is trust. Like one of my, you know, one of my favorite quotes by Adrian Marie Brown, you know, a writer and facilitator is, trust the people and they become tr- trustworthy. So you, in, in this project, right, like all of you are trusted to say, look, you could, you could go and use this money to, in something that, like that, that we might disagree as the adults or as the facilitators of the project disagree that you should spend that money on. But we're, we're just going to trust that you know how to spend the money better than us. You know your condition. You're the expert in your own life, right? So we, we trust you. Would love to hear from you just like, what did, that, what did that experience feel like? And if there are any like insights you, you can share back having gone through that process for a year? Yeah, I definitely feel like it teaches you responsibility because when you're, when you're left to your own devices and you are forced to make your own decisions, right? It causes you to become good at decision making, right? So if you are never in a situation where you have to make your decisions, if somebody's always making your decisions for you, then you become reliant on that person making your decisions for you. So it's it's absolutely a, a great thing that y'all gave us the ability to just spend the money on whatever we choose to spend the money on. And furthermore, I feel like it, it teaches you also that you should do the right thing when you're left to your own devices because when you are left to your own devices and if you do the right things and the right outcomes happen then you have nobody to thank for it besides yourself and the people who gave you the opportunity to do so the freedom to make the wrong decision or the right decision it creates the free will of people so again as someone who did not receive the $50 a week but yet was a facilitator of it, and then also a facilitator of the next version of this study. I navigate often questions around what did they use, what did these students use the money on, and it's a, it's they in quotes, so there's that layered into this as well. But what do they use the money on? Should I fund that? Like, should I give up my largesse so that Bernal can go take his girlfriend out on a date? pay his bills. Like, Vernell should just get a job. That's what people, that's what people do. And so I ask that question because it's at the core, it's one of the questions at the core of, of the values undergirding the, the growth of something like this and offering this to more for you. And if we as a collective can find a way to navigate that conversation and address that concern satisfactorily, I think there's an opportunity to to convince more to contribute to something like this. Like, I've got a lot of friends who would give $50 a week for something like this, <laughs> turns out. And so it only empowers me to think more about my resources or access to resources and how 
I leverage those for a greater good than than what I see existing in the present. I appreciate the question, Jonathan, and I love your answer right now because, you know, yes, at face value, it's like, okay, we spent, you know, 2,500, 2,500 was invested in Vernal, you know, and it was spent on stocks to back, like a continuum of that, right? But, but that's actually not what I'm hearing from you. What I'm hearing from you is that it was spent to give you time back to think about your future. It was, it was spent so that you can build your own financial literacy skills. And, you know, I kind of go back to, you know, every, every year as a nation, we spend $700 billion in education, trying to teach some of these exact skills. Like some of these exact skills, getting young people to have the, like to get them to uh, explore what, the, what their future might become, to get them to build a sense of self, a sense of responsibility. We don't have to tomorrow decide to spend the whole 700 billion on guaranteed income. But what if we started to spend some of that, right? And this is just what we as taxpayers spend every year on public education. That's not to mention what Jonathan talked about, right? Like individual giving that that happens every year. Foundations that, ha- that again, give hundreds of millions of dollars, right? And this is money that grows every year with the goal of building a better society, right? Like that is, the, that is money that is invested every year with the explicit purpose of perfecting our society. What if we spend part of that money? The money is going to be spent anyway, right? Like what if we started to spend some of that money to, to again, create a world where you don't have to start from zero. Maybe you start with 2,500 a year. Maybe you start with 12,000 a year. One question that kind of supersedes others is what's next? Like say we, say we, say we, come in at whatever the amount is so what are you going to do after this like is it like and who who supports that so there's just like a question of like like to what end am i doing this um is it policy is it like offering this to more youth and then how many more and where so scale questions of scalability and scale come up most frequently for me i think if I try to kind of drill down at the core of the questions that that I've heard is why should we trust young people with this? The youth is where change really begins, I feel, simply because the youth become the new adults and the new adults make the new decisions, right? So we're not even going to talk about the geezers that are in, in office right now. We, they, we can't change their minds. That's not ever going to happen, right? But the best way to start with changing the minds of the people is to start when they're younger, right? Because that's where you can still mold someone's mind in a way that can either be negative or positive. I feel that showing people at a young age the value of their dollars that they're going to have to be spending and receiving for the rest of their life is an invaluable experience that cannot be understated how important it is like it's probably the most important aspect of education in this country would be financial education so in a situation like that where it's just raw basic organic 
right? Just financial, like you, you do what you want with your money, right? That's like, there's nothing better than in my than that in my personal opinion, as far as like education goes. And with Rooted being a school that is fixated on the idea of getting people into high paying careers and and things of that nature, right? And going to college, which we all know is a humongous expense. I feel it goes extremely perfect with the model of Rooted School to teach their students in such a way how to manage their money because it's an invaluable experience. If you experience something like the Rooted Cash Transfer Pilot at an age like I did, it really genuinely changes your perspective on so many different things in your life, especially how it relates to money and how this country really, really, really does not favor those who don't have money. And that's the problem. So I feel like it's absolutely all about the education when it comes to a project like this. And the education is extremely, extremely important. It's, again, for me, a project like this is a values-defining project. It challenges ideas, mindsets, worldviews, and it snaps you to the root of, to the root questions of just who we are, who do we want to become? So hearing you say, you cannot manage something that you don't have. That is clear to me, right? Like that is just, it is as clear as it gets, right? And if we want people to be able to manage their life, to be able to manage their future, to be able to manage resources in our society. How do we do that if we're not willing to trust them? How do we do that if we're not willing to give them time to figure that out? How do we do that if we don't give them money to be able to learn how to manage these resources? It's clear. You know, like when I hear you say, one of the best things you can give somebody who does not have money is money. That is clear, right? Like that, that is a crystal clear concept that I am committed and, 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 and genuinely inspired to continue to, to explore in my own life and in, in, my, in my career. So I just want to thank you for first just like trusting to be part of this project because, you know, this could have been a lot of different things, right? And you decided, you know what, this, this seems to align with my goals. So I'm going to, I want to be a part of it, but I need you to know, like we learned way more. <laughs> we learned way more as a, as, as the organizing team from, from you and the other, other youth who are part of this. And then I'm grateful for you, Jonathan, like this, this idea again, started as like conversations, but it could have, if it could have gone nowhere, right? If we, there wasn't a school willing to be the first to say, you know what? This aligns with the mission and the vision of our school to see young people graduate, understanding who they are, having the resources to pursue the right next step for them in their life. And you took a bet on the project and, and you put your own resources, your own experience into, into this project. So I'm just I'm just grateful to be to be a part of this. I, I'll, I'll kind of finish where I started, which is this is genuinely the project that I feel most proud, honestly, to have played a very small part in because it, it changed me, you know, to be, to be in this project. 
I'm inspired leaving this conversation to continue this goal of growing this project from its very small start, but to the the value of hearing Vernell's voice this morning and the, the other youth who participated in like, it just underscores the importance of, of empowering youth to have a voice and find their voice. Vernell talking about this this morning is a, is a different version of Vernell than when I met him and came to know him as a 10th grader, 11th grader. I'm not sure people who will listen to this would have ever imagined like, wow, our young people think this way, are talking this way, uh, are imagining the world in these ways. And so just thank you for what you have taught me and taught us and will be teaching many, many others after, the, after today. I wanted to thank all of you, all of you, Alex, Son, Mr. Johnson, all of you. Rooted really changed my life in ways that I couldn't have possibly imagined that school to change my life. It opened my eyes to a lot of different things and allowed me to meet so many amazing people. And I wanted to thank all of y'all once again for like just listening to me and hearing everything that I had to say. I'm just very grateful to all y'all and y'all have all shaped me in ways that y'all couldn't possibly imagine. I mean, Vernell, I'm still going to wait to see the Anthony Bourdain version of the show that you're going to do. I'm, it's it's going to happen, man. You're going to travel, tell people stories. Finally, we wanted to shout out all the different folks that helped make this podcast project happen over the last two years. From the good people at 4.0 and Rooted School, to the many different guests that offered their time and energy to these conversations. But most importantly, I want to thank Jalen and Vernell for trusting us throughout the process, for always showing up on Zoom and working hard to express themselves authentically, to learn new things, and to press a chord, even when it felt hard. Although this pilot is over, this investment will continue at Rooted, in New Orleans, and in communities across the country. We hope that these interviews and this work will inspire you to rethink what is possible, and what is needed.